Welcome to our podcast, The Mac and Willie Show, a podcast where we discuss and explore the intersection of spirituality and business leadership. I'm Jennifer Willie, one of your hosts. And I'm Nydia McGregor, your other host. Today we'll be talking about wealth and spirituality. And this is uh, another pretty huge topic. I mean, it's emotional, it's stressful. I'm getting stressed just thinking about talking about it. Don't get stressed. Don't get stressed. Take a deep breath. Okay, fine. Um, but this makes it difficult for most people to discuss, but we're going to go for it. Here we go. Many people are uncomfortable talking about money or their money in particular. Their money in particular. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's, it's more than that. People often feel that earning a lot of money isn't spiritual or doesn't align with being spiritual or that if you do earn a lot of money, you're evil or you will become evil. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of of reading about this. There's the conception that somehow financial well-being is opposed to being spiritual. Right. Well, there is that saying that money is the root of all evil. And for fans of the King James Version of the Bible out there, it's it's really poetic. It's in 1 Timothy. For the love of money is the root of all evil. While... No, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So clearly, uh, this has some, dare I say, deep roots um, in our in our cultural heritage. I would like to point out before I go, go on to to another um, kind of a uh, idea that I I had when I was thinking about this, but he specifically says for the love of money. And I think we should come back to that phrase yeah. later on. Yes, yes. Let's re- yes, exactly. Let's revisit that. That because yeah. for the love of money is the is the key as opposed to money, money. itself. Yeah. Um, but this, you know, over the last a couple thousand years, um, this has made its way into you know things like pop culture. You know, books and money, where the bad people are wealthy and the good or righteous people are poor, and there's a, this theme where we equate money with greed and corruption and everyone with wealth is considered suspicious. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's safe to say there are lots of people out there who do want to be wealthy. Me, me, pick me. Oh, no. (laughs) So, okay. So, and as we said, this is stressful. This is emotional. This is also ultra confusing. Um, and don't get me started about my feelings. Your feelings toward money or? No, just my feelings. I'm just going to talk about my feelings right now. <laughs> so where do you think this comes from? How did wealth become equated with evil or or rather, how did the accumulation of wealth seem to become at odds with, with doing good? Well, in addition to First Timothy, Timothy um, there seems to be this trade-off, either doing good or being wealthy. Uh, what Lawrence McCahill calls the happiness trap, which is weird because money in itself isn't inherently evil. I mean, money is a means to transact. It's a currency. It's a way to obtain things that we want. It's 
definitely more efficient than trying to barter for everything. Although my neighbors do have chickens and that might work out pretty well for me. <laughs> right. Well, as crazy as it sounds, what you're pointing out is that the value of money is just, it's just a social construction. We've decided paper money has value because we as a society have stated that it has value. I'll actually never forget the look on my 10 year old daughter's face. When I explained that to her, she just looked at me like my head was on backwards. Like, so my question is, have you tried explaining cryptocurrency to her? That, you know, circumvent the whole paper part? Uh, no, because that was clearly beyond <laughs> what she was going to be able to handle. <laughs> but again, cryptocurrency, an another social construction. It yeah. has value because we say it has value and we act on that value and we attribute well, value to it, right? Well, some, some people act on, on the cryptocurrency value. Some people say it has value. All right. We, we digress here. But okay. All of that doesn't negate the fact that nearly everyone needs some form of money to get by in this society, right? If you're going to be in the society, you need something. Yeah. But I personally don't think that it's that money itself is evil. It's what we do with money, how we feel about money. In reality, money doesn't do the corrupting, but it does reveal those who are corrupt. So what you're getting at is you the point is that it's our relationship with money. Yeah. And how we, how we think about money and how we think about what we want to do with money. All right. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit, this idea about how we think about money or, or how we think about wealth. Um, let's start with what we do with money. If money is a way to get what you want, which George Carlin would call the stuff, right? More stuff. <laughs> Wanting more money means that you want more stuff, which implies greed and gluttony, and therefore it must be sinful, right? But on the flip side, you know, money can be a tool that allows us to have an abundant life, um, however you define that. Um, and, and I think this is the important and here, it can help, We through that money, we can help others. Um, and we all know that money doesn't buy happiness, but we can use it for the betterment of our lives and those in our community and for others. So some people choose to use money in non-spiritual ways, but think about those who channel their wealth into making the world a better place. Mm, I really like that. I, I read online recently um, just an, an, an image that, that this author was trying to call to mind where you could think about a world in which the majority of the money lies in conscious hands, meaning hands that would use it consciously. I love that. that it's is a so powerful cool. image. Yeah. It's a great image. And my alma mater's motto is non ministrare sed ministrare. Not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Not to be served, but to serve. If one is fortunate enough to have wealth, they have the opportunity to use that wealth to serve others. Of course, you know, this doesn't seem to be a universally held belief. Yeah, People that, kind of yeah, disagree about what money should be spent on, particularly if it feels like there's little to go around or if yeah. it's a, it feels like it's a zero-sum game. Yeah, definitely. You know, it forces us, you know, especially those of us who have, have felt poverty, you know, it forces us to make some pretty hard choices. So what you're, what you're getting at is that what... What the question is for people sometimes is when there's an 
sense of being out of balance, mm, yeah. right? Where there's too little money or where there's no meaning or no purpose coupled with having money. I, I think that's a good point um, or a good summary. I haven't spent, you know, before the recent past, I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about this when I was a kid, but I think there's a, a problem when wealth becomes the epitome of self-interest. Yes, right, right. Now, now you're really starting to drill into it because some might say that having wealth is the same as worshiping wealth, which is what makes it evil. But I don't think that that's, I think that's kind of what you're questioning, right? Right. Like, does, does, does it stand in the way of somebody's spiritual journey? Does, does it have, or does not wealth, because worshiping wealth is a problem, but does having wealth mean that you are stuck on your spiritual journey and you won't make any progress? So this begs the question, can you have wealth without worshiping wealth? And I think you can. I think it's a conscious choice though. And it comes back to our relationship with wealth. If one has a healthy relationship with money and they don't see it as the, the be all end all ends end to itself, but as a means to an end to have those higher level goals, I think it can be a, a pro or something that you can use for good. So using money as a tool, not as the goal, the ultimate goal. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that using money as a tool to get the dream car um, or house or whatever works, though. I mean, using money to help somebody achieve their life's purpose or your own life's purpose shows that wealth doesn't have to be opposed to spiritual growth. Yeah, that's um, that's in line with what um, Adam Grant, some folks may be familiar with Adam Grant. He's a social psychologist at uh, Wharton, um, and he has this concept he calls otherish. Otherish. Other-ish. It's great. Uh, it means being willing to give more than you receive. And that's just not just monetarily, but it could extend to monetary means. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean being completely selfless, but rather balancing your concern for others with the concern you have for yourself. Right. Um, but another part or aspect that makes it a little bit more complicated, because um, what we just talked about also touches on that love of money part is the flip side where, where it becomes emotional because, well, um, because it's a form of currency, we tend to get paid for our labor. And unfortunately, some people equate their self-worth with the amount that it says on their paycheck. And of course, this isn't true, but some people have a really hard time separating the two. Well, and you could see how that might be, right? Because if you're pouring yourself in your, your, your sweat, your sweat equity, literally sweat <laughs> equity every day. Um, and then you get your paycheck back for that time, for that effort. You, you could see how they could equate their self-worth yeah. with, with money. I mean, um, what's the first thing that people talk about when they meet a new person? Frequently, their, their question is, what do you do? Where do you work? And then they infer things from whatever the answer is, right? And it's funny because not all societies do that. Oh, so interesting. Because some societies ask other questions and they have a different relationship with, with uh, self-worth and with money. Sure. Some societies will ask you, like, you know, where are your parents from or, or uh, try to figure out if the, you guys are related in some way or what, yeah. what other common experiences you would have. But Do you enjoy music? Not... Do you have children? Um, Do you mm -hmm. whatever? Have you lived here long? Right. Uh, 
Oh, your your family goes back 500 years. Hey, cool. <laughs> uh, quick aside, did the genealogy thing. It says I'm related to Odin. Oh, of course. I, I, I could tell that from your... Yeah. I, I can't even say. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious because at some point somebody did some hand waving and they're like, oh, skip this. Okay, everybody's related to Odin at this point. We're just going... Psh- Skip it. Uh, good enough. Just put Odin down. Odin, Odin. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so so yeah, this is a cultural relevance. Um, it's it's a very relative, and there's a there's this com- compounded by this divergence, especially in some societies, with how much people are paid, and since some people's self esteem is tied to how much money is in the bank, I think it comes down to these extremes where there are people you know, a good number of people who are in abject poverty. And there are some people who have this ridiculous, tremendous wealth. And and you can see that it's, it's the gap. Yeah. It causes problems, right? Like the, 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 the width of the divide. Mm-hmm. I mean, research has shown that those living in poverty tend to have very low self-esteem and, and you can see why not having enough food yeah. um, and other necessities can make people feel like they're, they're failures and they, it's possible to internalize those negative stereotypes that they must be poor because for some way they're incompetent or they're worthless um, as opposed to other societal factors that, that might have contributed right. to that particular situation. Yeah. Or circumstances. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you know, there's the, those people whose self-esteem is tied to their wealth um, and they may be tremendously wealthy, but their choices may be based on this. And, not all. I mean, there are some incredibly generous, uh, tremendously wealthy people, but for some other people, there's this tension and there's, you know, what the, the choices that they make based on money doesn't align with their actual values. Like the person who takes that high paying job and stays there, but absolutely hates it and hates the profession and everybody in it. And, you know, this is soul draining. And I use that very consciously soul draining. And, and you, I don't know if this ever happened to you. I, I notice when I run into those people, how empty they seem. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially then if things just turn on a dime and they've given so much of their time to something that doesn't fill them up, doesn't provide any purpose at all. And then they yeah. lose their, that position or they lose their wealth and they feel like complete failures and they don't have anything to stand on that was filling them up at the time. It's so true. And, and it's, it's really painful to watch. Um, and this comes back to our, you know, our relationship and our beliefs about money um, and how we think about wealth. Uh, check this out. Okay. So there was a study a while ago, but I, I think it's pretty relevant. Um, yeah, it's pretty relevant. Participants in this study had to choose between two scenarios. In the first, they were uh, going to be paid $90,000 and their friends and colleagues would all be all be paid $80,000. So you get paid 90, everybody else gets 80. Uh, in the second scenario, they would receive $100,000, so $10,000 more, and their friends and colleagues would all receive $110,000. So you get or the the participant got $100,000 and their friends and colleagues would all receive $110,000. Well, that seems like an interesting choice. Was it pretty clear what people chose? Unfortunately, yes. 
because the vast majority chose to have less money as long it was as it was more than their colleagues. Oh, this is the same type. It's the same type of thinking that conflates conflates possession and possessiveness, right? There's so much attachment to having relatively more, right? Right. That that it just contributes to this unhealthy relationship with money. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode of The Mac Mac and Wooly Show.